Good morning. Everyone doing okay? Good? Good? All right. Happy Father's Day to any of you dads out there. Glad you're here. I'm teaching the most divisive chapter of the Bible today, so <laughs> glad you guys are in, uh, in service. So, hey, if you've never been to our church, let me tell you a little bit about how we do things. Um, so we go through whole books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse, and I believe that's the best way to teach the Bible. You understand the context of it better. You understand the stories better. You, 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 you really get a sense of what the Word is trying to say. It's a lot easier to understand and digest. It's, to me, it's the best way to, to approach the Scripture. That's all fine and good until you get to a chapter like Romans chapter 13, which is very, very difficult. Not to understand. It's very, very easy to understand. Extremely difficult to practice. And the reason it's extremely difficult to practice is, is talking, it is talking about honoring and respecting authority, specifically governmental authority. But I'll get to that here in a second. So here's what we've been doing so far in the book of Romans. Last, or two weeks ago, we did chapter 12. And there's kind of a turning point in chapter 12. The first 11 chapters of Roman are basically Christian doctrine. What Jesus has done for us, a lot of history about who God is and the history of Israel and how we came to be grafted into the family of God and, and all this stuff. And then in chapter 12, Paul kind of flips a little bit and he says, so in light of everything that you've learned about Jesus and about who you are in Jesus, in chapter 12, Paul challenges us then to respond. So now you've heard the truth and the truth demands a response. We either accept that truth and we live by it or we reject it and we live the way we wanna live, right? And so chapter 12 is kind of a turning point. Now in chapter 13, Paul takes it to a whole nother level. And he talks about honor, he talks about respect, he talks about love, three things that we're, we're sadly missing a lot of in our current society, but he applies it to authority, specifically government and governmental authority. And that's very, very difficult for us to process. But that's what we're going to get into a little bit today. We're going to get into this idea of honor, respect, loving other people, even those that we don't agree with, even those that are evil, that we are called to honor, respect, and love. So I've done this at the other four services or three services. You guys are the fourth. I'll do it with you as well. I want to tell you, if you've never been to this church, I am apolitical, which means I'm not political. I do not think it is the church's job to teach politics. I think it is the church's job to teach the word of God. And then what you do with that is kind of on you in society. So I'm not a political person. I'll go ahead and confess I have never voted for a president that has actually won. So if you bet on such things, find out who I vote for and just bet on the other person. So um, I, I, I do not get wrapped up in politics. I come at the word as objectively as I possibly know how. I will tell you this, just in the spirit of honesty, um, Emily Dickinson, I have, a, I have a degree in English, Emily Dickinson said, we tell the truth, but we tell it slant. My slant is this, uh, I, I do not have much faith in our government whatsoever. I haven't for a long, long time. And, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a communist, so don't, don't think that. I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I'm also not a socialist, right? I'm, I'm not working for the KGB or anything like that, so... I'm not against America, but I think ultimately all human institutions are going to fall, and I believe this is our only hope. And, and the reason I believe that is because Jesus said all human institutions are going to fall, and the only thing that's going to stand is his word. So <laughs> I'm just trying to do what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. 
So I, I, can, I can sometimes approach government with some sarcasm, and I'm gonna try to not let that seep out of me today. So um, I just wanna be honest with you guys. Our goal, though, is we have to approach the Word of God. If we're Christians, if you're not, you know, it's different, but if we are a Christian in this room, we have to approach the Word of God and approach it with, with face value. If it says, don't do this, we don't do that. If it says, do this, we do that. And that's where Romans chapter 13 lands, okay? It's hard. It's gonna be hard. If, if, if everyone in this room is not offended on some level today, I probably haven't taught Romans 13 well because it's, it's hard. It's very hard, okay? Very challenging. All that being said, uh, we'll have fun. It's not gonna be terrible. You should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Uh, don't read it all. Let's, let's all be disappointed together, right? Let's walk this, let's walk this together. Um, everything should be on the screens. And uh, if you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, I'm starting to sweat, so I gotta drink some water. Um, the Experience Community app will have everything in there. And uh, I think that's pretty much it, okay? Should be in good shape. Make sure you go back and see the guys from Greenhouse. Make sure you go to the Papa Boutique and, and, and buy something. Uh, both support great causes. And um, seriously, thank you guys for being here. I hope you're thankful for your earthly father. And uh, for those of us that don't have earthly fathers in our lives, I hope you're really, really thankful for your heavenly father. Um, God is good, right? So let's pray. Let's jump into this. And um, I don't know, we'll just see how long it takes before, before people start walking out. So, okay, so... Lord, we love you. God, we thank you. Lord, we praise you. God, you are good. Father, I'm so glad that we can come into this place and, and cut up and laugh and, and also get really serious. And Lord, um, I pray, God, that we approach the scripture today with, with open arms, with open eyes, with open ears. I pray, Father, that we can kind of lay our assumptions aside. I pray that we can lay our bias opinions aside. And I pray, Lord, that we can just let the word uh, really cut to the core of us today. Convict us if, if we need that. Encourage us if we need that, God. Sharpen us, how, whatever it needs to do to us today, God. I just pray that we're open to it. So Father, keep your hand on me as I do my best to teach it. And um, Lord, we just love you and we thank you. Bless our church, bless the other churches in our city. Bless the other campuses we have and the churches in those cities as well, God. And we pray that you're honored by everything that we talk about. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm gonna read the last verse of chapter 12 and then I'm gonna roll right into 13 because the last verse of chapter 12 kind of sets up 13 a little bit, okay? Here we go. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Okay, so we have to know a little bit of background, a little history for a little bit of context. In Romans chapter 12, uh, uh, kind of the theme of Romans chapter 12 is, is that you and I are to be living sacrifices. We don't make a sacrifice to God, we are a sacrifice to God. So everywhere we go, everything we do is supposed to be filtered through our relationship with God. Now that sounds wonderful until we start talking about government. Now, I am not super pleased with the way things are going in the United States. I bet a lot of you are not either. Here's the thing though. 
we are not nearly as radical and evil and, and hedonistic as the government that Paul was living in when he wrote chapter 13 of Romans. So we have to talk a little bit about the government and the world that Paul lived in to understand just how, how radical this chapter is. So Rome is typically very glorified, like in movies and stuff like that, and, and it was not a, a, a really wonderful place to be. The majority of citizens in Rome weren't really citizens. They were slaves to the government of Rome. It was extremely violent, extremely hedonistic, extremely pagan. The three most popular emperors that lived in the first century, which would have been Paul's time, the first one was Caligula. If you were to get on Google and research the most violent, awful men who have ever lived, Caligula would be way up in the top of that list. If you were to search who was the most violent Roman emperor, he would be number one. The man was exceptionally brutal, brutal, murdered a lot of people, was extremely sexual, deviant, uh, uh, was eventually killed as a lot of the emperors were. He was assassinated. He wasn't in power very long. After Caligula, a man named Claudius came in, who a lot of historians think was insane. They said he would drool at parties all over himself, had an extremely violent temper, again, killed a lot of people, had a huge lust for having sex with children. And after he would have sex with children, they would throw the children over cliffs into the ocean and kill them. That was Claudius. And then you had the guy who was emperor when Paul wrote this, Caesar Nero, who was extremely insane. Lit the, uh, uh, the city of Rome on fire so part of it could burn down and he could expand his palace. He ended up committing suicide in front of the Roman, in front of the Roman Senate by slitting his own throat. He was married four times. His first marriage was to a prepubescent boy that he had castrated, and that was his first marriage. The boy's name was Sporus. And so this was the guy who was in charge when Paul wrote Romans chapter, th chapter 13 about honoring the government. So again, we talk about how our government has gone off the rails, and though we are rapidly moving towards more things of the Roman Empire and the United States, we are not there yet. And so here's the thing about that. We tend to have bad attitudes about our government. We tend to post awful stuff. We tend to not show honor and make fun of and slander and say a bunch of bad things. And I think as Christians, we need to step back in light of chapter 13, in light of the government that existed when Paul was in power and say, we need to check our attitudes and actions when it comes to governmental authority. Because the message of honor in the middle of a godless culture is very much for the United States today. Very much so, okay? So we need to talk about it. And so Paul kind of comes out with a bang. And he says, everyone has to submit to the governing authorities. One, we don't like the word submit. We really don't like it in the context of governmental authority. So Paul gives the Romans this crazy command that you are to submit to the governing authorities. Now, what makes that extra crazy wasn't just how evil the Roman government was, but the fact that oppression and persecution on Christians was ramping up. In fact, it was Caesar Nero who would dip Christians in wax, light them on fire, and make human candles. That's where the phrase Roman candles comes from. And in the same time, that's when Paul was saying, honor the governing authorities. The reason this is important is Paul understood that God was sovereign. Even when things don't look like they're going the way we would want them to go, God is in control. 
And sometimes God allows evil empires to exist to humble the people and turn them back to him. The first king of the Jews, Saul, not a good guy. And God let him have power in order to turn his people back to the king of kings. We saw this in the time of Daniel, if you read the book of Daniel. And guys, we might have seen it in the last couple of decades in the United States. That sometimes God God lets people be in power to humble us. They're not great people all the time. And God does that for a reason. So what do we do when we rebel against the law of the land, when we rebel against the government? Well, Paul makes it very clear. If you rebel against the law of the land, you're rebelling against God. And it's gonna bring judgment upon you. Now, listen, we're not talking about, I'm not talking about rioting right now. I'm not talking about like killing people. I'm talking about simple things. That if we speed in our car, right? We know the speed limit's 35 on that bridge, right? But we all go 55 over it. You did it this morning, probably, on the way to church. If you live on the north side of town, we all speed over that bridge. We all see the thing that flashes, tells us how fast we're going, right above the thing that says you shouldn't be going that fast. And so here's the thing. If we disobey the law of the land, we cannot be shocked when a police officer pulls us over and gives us a ticket. (laughs) You are going 20 miles over the speed limit, right? Just like if we commit a felonious crime, if I break in somewhere or if I hurt you, or if I I do something, we cannot be shocked when there is judgment for that, when there is a penalty for that. It's very, very clear. The laws are here. If you break them, this happens. And we cannot be shocked by that. Now, where this chapter, there's a lot of places where this chapter gets sticky, but where it really gets sticky is what about civil disobedience? What about when the government does something that opposes the things of God? Then what do we do? Well, see, that's kind of why we have to really, really read word for word what Paul is saying. Paul says we follow what is instituted by God, which means basic laws honor God. Even things as simple as a seatbelt law, we think, well, how does that honor God? Well, we have a seatbelt law because theoretically, right, people in charge want you to be safe. If you get in a collision, you're less likely to die if you have a seatbelt on, right? So that honors God. And so here's the thing. Paul is making the assumption that there is a basic moral code that honors God and doesn't contradict the word of God because the government was created by God for our protection. That, that, that now, whether the people who make the laws are God-fearing people or not is irrelevant. If the law, this is important, if the law does not contradict the Bible, you and I are to follow the law. If the law does not contradict the word of God, we're to follow it. Now, what if it does contradict the word of God? When the law does contradict the word of God, there are appropriate times that we are to disobey the law. We saw this in the book of Daniel. Daniel actually worked for the government, right? He was a part of the government, one of the most powerful men in the government. But when a law was passed that Daniel could not pray to his God, he broke the law, right? Ended up getting him in a lot of trouble. Peter and John honored the law. But when they were told by the governor that they were not allowed to tell people about Jesus, they said, listen, we respect you, but we respect the king of kings more than you, and we're gonna keep telling people about Jesus. They kept doing it. Diedrich Bonhoeffer did it in Germany, got him killed. Martin Luther King Jr. did it here in the United States, got him killed. And he's a great and wonderful example about the next thing that I'm gonna say. Though there are times to disobey the government, How we disobey the government is extremely important. 
that we are to rebel against injustice in a way that still honors Jesus, which means we cannot return evil for evil. So if they throw a brick at you, you're not to throw a brick back at them. That's not the way Jesus, it's not the way Martin Luther King Jr. did it. He didn't walk in guns blazing, tearing people apart, hurting people. It was a peaceful stand against laws that did not go, go along with this book. Racism in this book do not mix. And that pastor in the 1950s and early 60s realized that, right? And stood against it. But we are not to return evil for evil. How we fight evil matters. We have to fight it in a way that honors Jesus. And this is where we've gotten it wrong recently. Now listen, we are to live in a system without getting caught up in the non-essentials, without, without breaking and rebelling against the non-essentials. I should have highlighted this next part. I don't know why I didn't. That we are called to not only not blaspheme God, look at this, we are called to not curse the ruler of our people. Let that one sink in for a second. How many Christians do you know when Barack Obama was president, right, slap a 666 on his head and make some derogatory remark about him? And everyone's like, oh, how dare you? And then Donald Trump gets elected and the other side does it, right? All the memes and all the disrespectful posts and he's this and he's that. And all the Republicans get up in arms. How dare you? That's so disrespectful. And then Joe Biden gets elected and it flips right back, right? And look at how hypocritical we've become. And look at how we blatantly, as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, right? Under Jesus Christ, look at how blatantly we break the scripture. Not to curse those that lead our nation. Well, but he's bad. Caesar Nero, just keep that in your mind, okay? Just keep that in your mind. Caesar Nero, every time we say, but, 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 but I don't agree with him. Doesn't matter, you don't curse him. You don't curse them. The Bible says, bless and don't curse. Because here's the thing, we are only able to spread the gospel if we live the gospel. And when we are cursing those in authority, we're not living the gospel. And maybe that's been the problem in church for the last 25, 30 years, is the church is so focused on politics and fighting a war that Jesus never came to fight that we are losing souls by the droves in the United States. So here, here's what we should be doing. Every time we post something or say something, every time we talk about people, if you were with me during the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes says, don't even speak poorly of people in the privacy of your bedroom with your spouse. Guilty, right? What we should always ask ourselves is, does this action honor Jesus? And if it doesn't, don't do it. <laughs> Pretty simple, okay? That was only two verses, guys. We're gonna be here till about four. <laughs> no, that's, that's not true. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you, if you do wrong, be afraid, because it, because it does not carry a sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger, that brings wrath on those who do wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants continually attending to their tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those 
you owe honor. That's a tough one. So ideally, the government should be serving you. Now, I will throw a little bit of sarcasm in there. Did you know that not only your president, your vice president, but Congress, the Senate, theoretically, they should be working for you? My sarcasm is the average senator makes about six times more than the average constituent that they represent, but they're supposed to be serving you. And so when Paul writes this, he's saying, ideally, the government should be your employee. They should be working for you. And Paul says, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad, which means here's the thing. Let's go back to speeding. You don't have to worry about getting a ticket if you're driving the speed limit. That's what Paul's saying. You don't have to fear going to jail if you're not breaking the law. This is assuming that the government is upholding a basic moral standard. Let me take it a step further, though. If you're a Christian in this room, I don't care how corrupt and evil any empire gets, you have no reason to be afraid of any human being, anybody. Jesus even said this. He said, don't be afraid of those that can kill your body. Only be afraid of the one that can cast your soul into hell. Jesus said that about himself. There's no one that you need to be afraid of as a Christian. Do what Jesus wants you to do. Live a life that honors Christ. And whatever happens, you're going to be okay in the end. And that's what we need to bank on. Here's another problem that we make that a lot of churches have made, a lot of Christians have made, is we think that one day our society is going to be an overtly Christian society, and that has never happened, right? And when it did, when theocracies did pop up in history, they typically didn't end very well. So though we should expect a basic moral standard from the government, we as Christians should not expect that we're going to be the politically cool thing to be or the societally cool thing to be or the cultural cool thing to be. It's never going to happen. The reason why it's never going to happen is Jesus did not come to fight politics. Jesus did not come to fight for culture. Jesus came to, to, to fight for the hearts and souls of mankind. He didn't come to win a cultural war. He didn't come to win a political war. He came to win you. That's what Jesus came to do but the church is still trying to fight a cultural war and we're trying to fight a political war and that, that wasn't Jesus's battle. So the question I think that we need to be asking ourselves is, what are we trying to save? What is the church in the United States trying to save? And if the church in the United States is trying to, to save politics, if the church in the United States is trying to save the government, if we're trying to save even America, we have completely missed the mission of Jesus. Because what we're doing is we're putting so much energy into trying to save a house that Jesus always affirmed would burn to the ground. Again, all you have to do is, is read the Bible. Matthew chapter 24, if you don't believe what I just said. Jesus said, every single human institution will pass. The only thing that will stand is my word. And when Christians hold on more tightly to Americanism than they do the Bible, you're holding on to something that Jesus said is going to go away. Listen, our goal is not to save human institutions. Our goal is to save the souls of mankind. That is our initiative. That is our directive from Jesus. And the problem with the church is we've been trying to save the wrong thing. We're not trying to save the burning house. We're trying to get people out of the burning house. That's what we're trying to do. And so Jesus said, or I'm sorry, Paul says, and for this reason we pay taxes. Now let's flip it around the other way. So again, though our, our government 
may be corrupt, though there are things we don't agree with. It's always been like that with government. I'm not just picking on the United States. Paul says there are benefits of living under the government. For instance, when you drove here today, uh, you drove on paved roads. Taxes pay for that. If your kids are in a public school, taxes pay for that, right? There are different things that we collectively pull together and, and, it, and it greater helps the people. Even in Paul's time, the, the first government to ever institute paved roads was the Roman government. That's why they say all roads lead to Rome. They're the ones that made roads as we know roads. And it was taxpayer dollars that funded that. So Paul is saying there are benefits of being under the government and we should all be paying our fair share because we get to, to enjoy those benefits. We have these great privileges. So pay your taxes because you use the stuff as well. And he says, do this not just because God will get on to if you don't, but do it because it's just the right thing to do because of your conscience. Here's the bottom line, guys. If we say we love Jesus Christ, but we live in dishonoring the government, if we live in rebellion to the government, if we live in constantly talking down and slandering and cursing and everything else, it is a stark contradiction to, to the same book that we claim to follow. You cannot do both. And a lack of respect and a lack of honor for positions of authority, not just governmental, I'm talking about everywhere in our society right now, it is antithetical to the teachings of Jesus. To have a whole movement that says that we should, we should remove authority in our society, that is not the way the Bible teaches us. And it's prevalent on both fronts. There is so much disrespect. There is so much lack of honor. There is so much arrogance right now. And it is not what Jesus wants us to be. We live in a really messed up culture right now, guys, quite frankly. I'll get to that a little bit later here in a second. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. That means want what other people has. And any other commandment are summed up in this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So if the buzzword for verses one through seven is submit, we, we don't like that word. The buzzword for verses eight through 10 is love, and we claim to, that, to, to, to really like that word, even though we really don't know what it means anymore. So Paul says the only debt that the Bible thinks is good debt is the debt that we have of love. What that means is, is we have received, not because we've earned it, but we have received all of this love for Jesus, from Jesus. So we are in debt to God because of the love that he has shown to us. And because of that, we are to go out and love those around us. We should feel obligated. It should be a responsibility of ours to go out and love those around us. And when we love, it is fulfilling the commands of Jesus. Here's our problem in our society, though. We have no idea what the, what, the, what the word love means anymore. We have used it so carelessly in our society. Again, a lot this month where everyone is saying just love is love. Love is love. And you have no idea what that means. So if love is love, don't complain to me when that 55-year-old man starts hitting on your 12-year-old daughter on TikTok. Love is love, right? Everyone awake? Love is love. What an asinine statement for a Christian to use. When there is no definition of what love is, love can actually do a tremendous amount of damage. The root of all evil is the love of money, but hey, love is love. 
some people are in love with the darkness, therefore they hurt other people. But hey, love is love. So when I see Christians that claim to follow Christ saying asinine statements that are pretty contradictory to this book, we need to step back and say, okay, God says love, but first I need to know what the boundaries of love are. It's like if you have a goldfish in a bowl and you're like, man, I love that fish and it's confined by this bowl. I just gotta let it free, so you pour it out on the floor. And you're like, well, why in the heck is it dying? Because you've removed its parameters. Without the parameters, it cannot live. It cannot function properly. And now you have killed it because love is love. Everyone's awake, right? Everyone's good? Okay, all right. I just got unfriended like seven times on Facebook right now. So, okay, anyways. So 60% of the Ten Commandments have to do with how we treat each other. Isn't that interesting? That shows us that how we interact with each other is extremely important to Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, everyone's gonna know you by how you love each other. Paul said the greatest of all human attributes is love. But again, we have to know what love is. And love is not defined by your culture. Love is defined by the author of love, and that is God. And it is defined in this book. That's why we have to read this book. So one of the things that this book says is love does no wrong to a neighbor. That doesn't say just neighbors that you like or neighbors that think like you. Love does no wrong to any neighbor. Now, who is a neighbor? We're all neighbors on planet Earth. So if you fly across the world to, to Brussels and you run into someone, that's your neighbor. So you treat that person in a way that you would like to be treated. And so if we take the Bible at face value, any interaction we have with another human, we are to love them and treat them in a way that we would like to be treated. Here's the catch. Even though they may never reciprocate that. That I love you, even if you don't love me. That's why Jesus said, pray for those that persecute you. Love your enemies, right? They may never reciprocate it. I hate to be a downer. If you really, really love people, you'll never get out of people what you put into people. But that's not the point. The point is to continue to love, to honor, to show respect, to treat people the way Jesus told you to treat them. But here's a, here's a lie that is told to especially a lot of you young people in this room. You are told a lie right now that if someone disagrees with how you're living, they must hate you. They are a bigot. They are closed-minded. They are terrible people. If they disagree with you, they're your enemy. And that is a lie. That is not the truth. As Christians, we have two obligations. I just wrote a book about it. I'm sure all of you guys read it. But, but anyways, that was, that was a guilt trip. Um, we as Christians have two obligations. To go out and love every person we have contact with and to not compromise our biblical integrity. What that means is, and we're just going to talk like real honest adults in here. I have lots of gay friends. I have trans friends. In fact, a, a, a trans individual gave me a five-star review on my book. And so I have lots of trans friends. I have people that are atheists that are good friends of mine. I have lots of Muslim friends, Buddhist friends, all kinds of different people. We know that we do not agree with each other. I've had people that are very good friends of mine that live gay lifestyles sit down at coffee and say, do you think my lifestyle is okay? And I will say, no, but I love you. I still wanna have a relationship with you. I wanna still be friends with you. You're still welcome in this place, even though we don't agree. And so here's the thing. There is a lie that is being told to you that people that don't agree cannot have relationships. And that is not the case. 
It is only by being honest with what we believe, by loving people and telling people the truth, that we can open up the doors for people who do not know Christ to come into this place and hear the gospel. That's the only way that we're going to win that. You guys are super quiet. You know, a lot of people get uncomfortable when I start talking about the fact that you may sit by a gay couple in this church or a transgendered individual at this church, and people are like, oh my gosh, those kinds of people are welcome here. Let's talk about premarital sex for a second. Well, hold on, hold on. Let's talk about the fact that statistically, 95% of all Christians lose their virginity before they're married. Let's talk about the fact that your sin is no less than anyone else's. Let's talk about that for a second. Hold, hold on. Let's talk about the fact that 70% of all people have looked at porn in the last month. Let's talk about things. So whenever we start getting on our high horse saying, oh, those people, let's turn that around and let's talk about you for a second. Let's talk about what you do in the darkness for a second. Let's talk about why you're up so late at night. Let's talk about you for a second. Listen, these doors are open for anyone that wants to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how they respond to that, now, how they respond to that is not my problem. That, then they, that becomes their problem after that. It's not mine, but these doors are open to anyone that wants to hear it. And if that's not the kind of church you want to attend, then, man, you're going to hate this place because we're just going to be honest and open and real, and everyone is welcome, okay? Awesome. Last part. All right, we're almost done, guys. It's Father's Day, Corey. You're being a jerk up there. All right. Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near, so let us, look at this, let us discard the deeds of, of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, that's having a lot of sex, not quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. This may be the slide I'm the most passionate about today, and I, I want you to hear me for a second. Paul's big argument in this section is he wants the Romans to be aware of their surroundings. Be aware of the culture, the time that you live in. Understand the time that you are living in. Listen, for the Romans, it was the empire, right? And for us right now in the United States, we have the God of individualism and we have the God of Americanism. Now listen, I'm not against America, right? I'm glad I live here. There's nowhere else on earth I'd rather live than here. But there is a culture right now. I dare say there is a spirit that hovers over America right now that is so self-centered and so arrogant and so aggressive and it is all about me and my pursuits. Amen. And Paul, I think, is saying to us through the word today, are you aware? Do you feel it? Are you, are you, are you looking right now? And Paul is saying that you don't have time to waste. You don't have time to waste. Because every breath you take is one breath closer to you meeting Jesus Christ. Whether he comes in 600 years or whether he comes in six days, we're not promised tomorrow, right? And we do not know the day in which he will return or quite frankly, the day in which we will pass and die and meet our maker. So every breath we take, every day we live, we are one day closer, one moment closer to meeting our maker. And so Paul says, are, are you awake? Are you awake? 
It's time to wake up. Peter said it this way, be sober, sober. Keep that in mind as we continue to pass legislation for freedom to use more drugs. That you're to be sober-minded, you're to be alert and vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion looking to devour you. So not only does Paul say it, Peter says, you need to be looking. You need to be sharp. You need to be watching. And the only way to do that, guys, is we have to have the gift of wisdom and the gift of discernment that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. The only way that our eyes are going to be opened to the depravity of our culture is by God's Spirit and by reading God's Word. Revelation chapter three, Jesus says this to the churches. If you go into the first three chapters of Revelation, the majority of it is Jesus talking. And Jesus says through John, who's, who's writing it, he didn't have a, a computer back then, I'm sorry about that. But as, as Jesus was talking through John, Jesus kept asking the churches, he said, for those of you that have ears to hear, for those of you who want to, to listen, evil is going to increase in the world, but at the same time, the gospel is going to increase in the world. And when those things reach their climax, that's when Jesus is going to come back. But again, Paul's question is, are you looking? Are you listening? Are you praying, right? We are so distracted in our culture. We are so consumed with ourselves, right? There are so many voices speaking to us. Christians are so busy trying to make sure that they have a social media presence, that we don't read our Bibles anymore. We don't communicate with other believers. We're not praying anymore. So again, I have a degree in English. Ray Bradbury said one time, in the 1940s he said this, he was a sci-fi writer. Ray Bradbury said, I believe there will come a time where people will be sexually aroused by their own image. We call those selfies. There are so many people who are almost turned on by their own image. I see it all the time on Facebook. People who are sitting there and they can't even talk because they're so busy making sure that they look good is they video themselves to an audience that's probably not listening. And this is what we are, right? And we're not looking, we're not waiting, we're not anticipating. And Paul says in the middle of an indecent culture, we have to walk in decency. Parents, this is why you don't just need to let your kids surf YouTube. You need to know what they're doing, right? If you watch a PBS documentary about transgenderism, they talk to all these these kids who haven't even gone through puberty yet, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, who are already getting uh, uh, sex changes even before they hit puberty. And they'll ask all these kids, where did you find out this? Where did you learn about this? And almost all of them say, YouTube. I just learned it on YouTube, right? Had this feeling one time, someone else on YouTube had this feeling, so it must be true. There's a lot of indecent, indecent things in the world right now, and we need to make sure that we are walking in decency. We need to make sure that we are living, as Paul says, in the daytime, which means that whatever we do, we should be able to to, to do publicly. We should be able to show people, we should be able to to walk and say, I'm not hiding anything. And though there are a lot more ways to sin, Paul says not to engage in excessive partying, in drunkenness, in sexual impurity, in promiscuity, that means having a lot of sex, in arguing, in jealousy. These things belong to the darkness. And stay away from those things. Live in the daytime. And the only way that we can do that is, is Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. 
Don't let him be your co-pilot. I hate that phrase. Jesus needs to be in the driver's seat with his hands on the wheel, and whenever you try to touch it, let him smack your hands, right? You don't need any control. It needs to all be him. And I love what Paul says, put on Jesus. Like you put on a shirt everywhere you go. There he is, right? Filters your actions, filters what you do, filters where you go, how you do things, your desires. And here's the thing, we can only put on Jesus, right? If we willingly choose to not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's not just porn, that's not just sex, it's greed, it's materialism. It's this lust that we have in our society for affirmation. Affirm me, affirm me, affirm me. And what Paul is saying is lay down you and pick up Jesus. Listen, that, that, is, that is the crux of this entire book. The crux of this entire book is die to self and live in Christ. Amen. That's what this book is about. And Paul says, you gotta lay down you and you gotta pick up Christ. So listen, I'm not calling President Biden Nero. That's not what this means. What I mean is, is we will never live in a completely God-fearing society and culture. So if we understand that, we have to ask ourselves, how will we live in a time that will become increasingly antagonistic towards our beliefs? How will we respond to a culture and a society that is not only Christian, that, that, that is not only not Christian, but will continue to grow in that? Do we honestly believe that God is in control regardless of what happens? Can we honestly say that we respect authority? Listen, let's not talk about presidents. Let's, let's, let's go a bit closer to home. You respect your boss. Do you honor your boss in word and deed? Do you honor your teachers in word and deed? Do you honor your parents? It's actually one of the Ten Commandments. Do you honor those who are older than you? The Bible talks about people with gray in their hair. There, right? that because they have gray in their hair, it means they've, learned, they've lived X amount of years and that we are to glean wisdom from them because they've lived longer than us. We live in a culture that is completely void of honor and respect, and it is anti-Jesus. Can we say that we honor and respect authority? Let me ask you this, man. I know this one stings a little bit. You have to be honest. Is your hope in political policy or is it in theology? Is your hope in what they say on CNN and Fox or is your hope in what the word of God says? Is your hope in the study of policies or is your hope in the study of God? Because there's a lot of Christians who think that their hope lies in a political party. And I wanna ask you, will you follow the word of God even if it contradicts what your political party may believe in? I remember several years ago when the topic of conversation was immigration. It was always immigration. Now, listen, this always offends someone. Whenever people talk hateful things about immigrants, all I have to do is go back to the words of Jesus and it said, treat immigrants well because you are immigrants in the land of Egypt. Straight from the mouth of Jesus, right? Straight from his mouth. Part of the Old Testament law was 10% of your crops had to be designated for passerbys, sojourners and immigrants who are passing through that it was by law you had to feed them. You have to take care of them. Well, I just don't believe it. Well, I mean, take it up with God, right? I didn't write it. 
I just know that Jesus said that we are to welcome the immigrant and the sojourner, and that's all I know. That's all I know. Will we follow the word of God even if it contradicts our political party? Let me ask you this. Are we trying to win an argument or are we trying to win a soul? There's a lot more Christians who are much more concerned about winning an argument than they are about winning someone to Jesus Christ. So that brings us to who are we truly in love with? In the United States, the pursuit of happiness has replaced picking up our cross and following Jesus. Unfortunately, with a lot of Christians, I can't tell you how many, how many times Christians come up to me and they're like, well, God just wants me to be happy. And I'm like, show me that scripture. I've read the Bible a couple of times, never seen it. God wants you to have contentment and God wants you to have joy. But the only way to find contentment and joy is to pursue him, not your desires. That's the only way to achieve contentment and joy. And so do we pursue the things of God and the truth more than what we want? If it's all about you just being happy, I'm gonna tell you, happiness is fleeting. Pursue Jesus Christ and you will find joy, which regardless of your circumstances, you can hold on to. Listen, are we in love with God or are we just in love with the benefits of knowing God? Are we in love with the blessings of God or, or are we in love with the one that gives us blessings? And Habakkuk in the Old Testament would say, what if God never blessed you again? Would you still love him? Habakkuk chapter two, even if the fig tree never blooms, right? I'll still love you. That's what Habakkuk said in the Old Testament. And here's the thing, if we say we love Jesus, we have to love humanity as well. And let me tell you a good working definition of what love is. Love is wanting the best for someone, regardless if they want the best for you or not. I want the best for you. I want you, to, I want you to go to heaven, first and foremost. I want you to honor God. I want you to have a successful marriage. I want you to have children that, that, that fear and respect and love God. I want you to be successful. I, I want what's best for you, right? Even if you don't like me, even if you hate me, I pray blessings on you. I pray good things for you. Let me tell you something interesting. When the church first started, I'm talking not this church, I'm talking about church. There's all these records of basically they would have a service order, kind of like how we have a service order, right? Sing a couple of songs, do this, do that, have preaching, pray, go home, right? They would have a service order. And in the first century, when the church first began, let me, let me, let me really challenge us a little bit today. The first thing the church would always do is they would pray for the emperor. First thing, imagine when Donald Trump was in office, if I would have got up here every single week and opened up service with, let's pray for Donald Trump right now. Half the church would have left. And then Joe Biden gets elected. And if, imagine if I walked up here every single week and I said, God, I pray that you keep your hand on Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, protect them, give them wisdom, protect them physically. The other half of the church, it'd just, it'd just be me. Be Kyle singing to no one, me preaching to no one. No one would be here anymore. So what that shows us is, is we truly do not love those people. Because even if we disagree with them, even if they're not what we want them to be, we are to pray blessings and we are to pray for God to touch their heart and for God to, to protect them, even if we don't like them. That's truly what love is. Now, do you guys want me to show you the hardest scripture in the entire Bible to follow? It's coming, here it is. Peter who was also killed by Caesar and Nero. So Paul got his head cut off by the emperor. Peter was only crucified upside down by the emperor. Peter wrote this, honor everyone. Well, but they live a lifestyle that I don't agree with. Honor everyone. 
but he's a right-wing nutcase. Honor everyone. Well, you don't know how liberal they are. Honor everyone, but they're an atheist. Honor everyone. The second thing Peter says is love the brothers and sisters. Something that Christians have gotten so good at is tearing down other Christians. And I know you guys hide it really, really well with those posts like, the church isn't a building, the church is us, right? Which is really, we don't respect you, pastor, and we're not gonna go because no one's gonna tell us what to do. That's, that's a very good way of hiding a lot of those kinds of comments, right? You guys are like, I gotta delete that. Anyways, <laughs> listen, every pastor on planet earth knows that the church is not brick and mortar. But the people who follow Jesus have to meet somewhere, and we also call that the church, right? It's not because we're stupid. It's not because you're smarter than me. You might be, but all your passive-aggressive posts are really just tearing down the fabric of our faith, not lifting it up. Amen. And we're to be edifying each other, not tearing each other down. So honor everyone, everyone. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ, but they messed up. You did too. Anyways... Fear God, which means respect him. Well, God's my homeboy. He's not. He is the one that spoke the universe into existence and you were one of his creations. He's not your boy. He's not your bro. It says in Revelation chapter four that when John approached the throne of God, that there was a sea of glass, this chasm, because we are not on the same level as God. We're not. We should have a healthy fear of God. And then Peter said, honor the emperor, but he's a bad man. Honor the emperor. There was no good emperors in Rome, quite frankly. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone, love other believers, fear God, honor the emperor. I'm gonna tell you, the only way that is possible is if you are 100% full of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. If we're just being honest. And here's the thing, we are not called to live in isolation of the world that we are in. We are not called to all of us, you know, we're not gonna pitch in, buy a big plot of land in Smithville and live in some weirdo commune together. That's not what we're called to do. I just figure there's a lot of land for sale in Smithville, I don't know. <laughs> but that's not what, we're not called to be afraid of the world and live in isolation of the world. We are called to insulate ourselves with the Holy Spirit of God, to be sent out into the darkness, to bring the light, as Jesus said, like sheep among wolves that we are to go out not to be afraid of culture or society, but there are so many people hurting and lost and whose lives are falling apart. And we are the hands and feet Amen. of the King of Kings, and we are called to go out and bring the light. The first thing Jesus said, right? The first message he ever taught, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Do not cover it up. Go out, 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 out. But the only way we can go out into this darkness is we must be full of the light, insulated by the Holy Spirit. Man. And insulation of the Holy Spirit is only possible if we want it, if we have a relationship with Jesus through prayer, if we read the word of God, and if we do what it tells us to do. It's the only way. Can I leave you with one last thought? One last thought. Here's what it is. And I don't mean this to be a jerk. I don't mean this to be controversial. Ultimately, you do not belong to a nation. You do not belong to a political party. You do not belong to an economic system. Ultimately, all of us need to remember that we belong to a kingdom. Yeah. 
And first and foremost, we must live in a way that honors the kingdom. That is Jesus Christ. That is his directives. First and foremost, this is the directive of our king. And we have to follow this first and foremost. Am I an American? Well, sure, I'm an American. I hope I'm a good American citizen. Am I a father? Yes, I'm a father. Am am I a husband? Yes, I'm that too. Am I a, a pastor? Yes, I'm all these things. But first and foremost, I am a son of the King of Kings. And I have to live in a way that honors my adoptive father. All of you in this room, above all things, you are a citizen in the king, kingdom that belongs to Jesus Christ. And that's how we are to live, okay? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Now, this is kind of a weird shift. But if there is anyone in this room who does not have a relationship with God, anyone who may have questions, please don't be intimidated or weird. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Isaac is up here. If you have any questions about Christianity, any questions about anything I've talked about today, any questions about the Bible or our church, anything, please come up here and talk to Pastor Isaac. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage if you need prayer for anything. That can be for your health, your finances, for friends, family members. If you wanna confess that you've been struggling with a sin and just have someone pray with you, that's fine. Please don't be embarrassed to do that. And then the last thing is this. All around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, we have communion. That's bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. What this does is it reminds us that God loved us so much, right? He loved us so much that he sent his only son to to die on the cross for us, to shed his blood so our sins can be forgiven. So we can be full of the Holy Spirit, so we can live the way that the word tells us to live. All of you are welcome to take communion as long as you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. I'm gonna let you guys get that today and you can kind of take it on your own if you wanna do it with a friend or a spouse or a family member, whatever you feel most comfortable. If you just wanna do it alone, please make yourself comfortable, okay? Let me pray for you real quick. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I pray for everyone in this room. Lord, I pray that you just keep your hand on us, God. Lord, as we go back into a world that is pretty chaotic right now, I pray, God, that we can bring peace with us. I pray that we can bring light with us. I pray, God, that we can be gentle and loving to the people around us, that we can be honorable and respectable to the people around us, all people, God. Father, Lord, I I believe it's also appropriate today, God, I wanna pray for our president. I wanna pray for our vice president. I wanna pray for our Senate and our Congress, God. I wanna pray for our state government, Lord, our governor and our state Senate. And Lord, we pray for our our county mayor. We pray for our city mayor. We pray for our police and our first responders and our sheriff's department, God. Lord, we know that all these people are not perfect. But Lord, we pray blessings. We pray, God, that that Lord, they they humble themselves in front of you. We pray, God, that, that if any of those people do not know you, God, that they build a relationship with you. We pray, Lord, for them as individuals, not just as our authority, God, but for them, Lord you would take care of them and protect them, God, and keep them safe. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys so much. I hope you guys have a good day. You're welcome to help yourself.